This is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. The Canadian Investor Podcast. Welcome into the show. My name is Braden Dennis, as always, joined by the very thoughtful Simon Belanger. Today is Tuesday, May 16th. We're doing an earnings and news roundup on today's show. How are you doing, good sir? How was your weekend? Oh, it was good. Yeah, nice weather. Um, you know, had uh, Mother's Day um, on the weekend as well, so that's always nice. And yeah, Mother's Day is different for you now. Yeah, it, it is definitely different. Uh, but aside <laughs> from that, no, it was a nice, beautiful weekend in Ottawa. So just enjoying the nice weather. So I went to No Frills. As I do, as a as a no frills hauler, uh, grocery store of choice, and um, you want to know, want you want to see inflation in action? You know when you throw a quarter into the the grocery cart? Yeah, like oh yeah, gotta, yeah, to, yeah. You have to put yeah. the, put the quarter in there. Did I show up? It's a loony now. Oh really? <laughs> all of a sudden, it's a loony. They've they've, <laughs> they've changed all of them. It's now a loony requirement. Uh, so that was a fastball. That is, uh, that's inflation right there. You have quarter to a full dollar to take out a grocery cart. Um, Simo, let's, let's get right to the big announcement, which is tickets are now available for our meetup on July 7th. The Eventbrite link is in the show notes. Uh, we're going to put it in the show notes of this one and all the shows until it's sold out which will be very fast. So this is Friday, July 7th. We're having a three-hour cocktail party downtown Toronto. We'll do an hour of Q&A set up. We got like 80 to 100 chairs. And then we'll put the chairs away and we'll do around like two hours of social meet and greet, just chatting amongst the listeners and ourselves. We're going to supply the food, the beer, the seltzers, the soda water, the non-alcoholic drinks, whatever you want to drink and eat. We got you. Um, 100 tickets are for sale, $30 Canadian with fees included. Uh, that gives you drinks, food, the venue. We're ready to go. So that is the evening of Friday, July 7th in downtown Toronto. If you want to be there, buy your tickets when you hear this in the event bright link on your show notes, or you will certainly miss out and there will not be, Hey, hey, Simone, uh, I really want to go. Do you have any more tickets? <laughs> uh, no, there's there's no more. So don't get FOMO buying stocks, but certainly get FOMO with coming to our meetup. It's going to be a great time. Yeah, and uh, you have to remember, too, it's just not for our show. So it's going to be for, you know, the Canadian real estate investor as well. And Dan and Nick will be there. So there's definitely going to be, I think, a lot of demand for that, especially Pretty much everything's included, um, and it's my yearly Toronto trip, so I'll be there. I get there on the Thursday, already booked my hotel, and then uh, going with my wife and daughter, so we've planned a few other things around it. She's going to see uh, Queen Bee on the Sunday, so uh, I'm going <laughs> The Beyonce show. Yeah, the Beyonce with oh, yeah. some uh, girlfriends there, so... I'm surprised yeah. you're not going. That sounds no, electric. I'll be a single daddy <laughs> in, uh, in Toronto, so should should be interesting. Um, let's get into it. You have a U.S. and Canadian inflation print. Let's do it. Yeah, exactly. So luckily, I mean, it came out right today as we're recording this for Canada. I'll start with the U.S. just because it came out last week. 
So it came out uh, that the U.S., the headline number was 4.9%, was pretty much in line with expectation, depending who you were looking at. Uh, They may have said slightly below, but in line regardless, I think it was pretty much what people were expecting. The month-over-month change was 0.4%, which was higher than the previous month-over-month. So, um, And I'll give my takeaway after I go through the figures for both Canada and the U.S., where I, you know, my overall general view on it now drilling down to the categories food was up 7.7 percent but it was flat month over month energy as a whole was down 5.1 percent but up 0.6 percent month over month gas specifically as a subcategory of energy was down 12.2 percent but up 3% month over month. Services, which have been especially sticky, were up 6.8%. Used vehicle, which we know they were way, way up during the pandemic, keep trending down, so down 6.6% on the year-over-year. However, they were up 4.4% more month over month. So it'll be interesting whether that kind of starts trending back up here. New vehicles were up 5.4%, but down 0.2%. And... I'm going to ask you, I don't know if it's just me anecdotally seeing uh, car dealerships in Ottawa, but I know about a year ago or so, year and a half, every time I went by a car dealership, there was barely any cars on the lot. And now I definitely notice a shift in that where the lots seem to be very full and there seems to be deals. So it's usually like really, you know, cheap financing to entice people to buy a new car or, you know, you get a pretty significant amount down on the retail price. Have you noticed that in uh, the GTA? I have noticed it. Um, I noticed it a lot at the beginning when it went from super empty lots to like back to normal again. I haven't noticed it kind of again now into excess. But what I have noticed is looking at the inventory levels of these used car uh, retailers is that's 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 the the true tell right there is actually just looking at the accounting of these names and I have certainly noticed and we've talked about it here on the podcast about inventory levels uh, so yeah I mean things things are changing quickly from that that perspective it's obviously very cyclical and then you have combined. Uh, cyclicality plus supply chain disruptions that we saw with cars that dragged on and on and on. Um, You had a bit of a perfect storm. Yeah. And you have right now people getting squeezed with inflation as a whole. Right. So I think, you know, I don't I'm not sure how many people are actually looking to buy new cars. So I think that's probably affecting things. They, you know, there's a shortage they produce to try and fill that. There's always that thing right with the offer and demand. And then you get rates. You get rates. Then you get rates hikes. Yeah, exactly. So financing is more expensive for cars. So there's always this, uh, when you have uh, really a short supply for something, the producers end up making more and then oftentimes they make too much and they have to start discounting things. So um, yeah, I definitely noticed that as well in Ottawa. Now, another important component here, shelter costs were up 8.1% and 0.4% month over month. And the core CPI metric used by the Fed uh, rose to 5.5% and 0.4% month over month. Uh, For those who are not aware core cpi is the obviously it's a measure of inflation like cpi but it just strips out food and energy prices because they're volatile and central banks tend to zone in on that because uh, a lot of the reduction in inflation 
is actually because of energy costs that have gone down. Has a big, big impact here. Now, if we go on to Canada, it's actually pretty similar. Some slight differences in percentages, but headline number was 4.4%, um, which was slightly higher than March at 4.3%. And I think it was pretty much in line with expectation. And it was up 0.7% month over month, which is pretty significant. If you compare that to March, it was up 0.5% month over month. So I think it's something to keep an eye on, especially uh, the year over year, right? You know, there's always the base effect. Last year, we're seeing some pretty high inflation at this time. Um, so you want to definitely people will want to keep an eye on the month over month. Food prices like we saw in the U.S. were up pretty big at 8.3% and up 0.4% month over month. Again, more than March. Shelter was up 4.9% and 0.6% month over month. Energy as a whole was down 4.2%, but up 3.4% month over month. So very similar to the U.S., gas was down 7.7%, but up 6.3%. And services inflation seems to be sticky here as well with 4.8% and 0.5% month over month, which is oftentimes just due to the tight labor market and the three core inflation measures. So in Canada, they look at three of them. I won't go into detail, but they were respectively slightly down and they were 5.7%, 4.2 and 4.2. So slightly down from March, but still showing some signs of stickiness. And for me, there's two main takeaways here. First, energy prices have a big, big impact on the overall CPI, not only the energy component, but also so, you know, food prices will be impacted by energy prices because of, you know, how they have to be shipped and transported for a lot of the food we consume. And I'll just say that the Bank of Canada, remember, they were saying that we should be going around 3% inflation this summer. It may still happen. I do hope it does happen, but at the same time, I think it's really too early to draw any kind of conclusions and you understand now why central banks, you know, they make these predictions, but now I, I've noticed they're much more careful and they say that, you know, we think it's going to go that way, but, you know, there's a lot of things that could make it change. So something to keep an eye on. I'm not sure if we'll get to that 3%, but uh, there's, I don't know. What do you think? I think there's some good and bad in terms of the numbers that came out. Yeah, a bit of a mi mixed bag. The The core numbers you mentioned are surprisingly sticky and, you know, persisting higher than than we may have expected but the the turn it's come around from where it was uh just even looking back a few months obviously the progress is there and obviously the fed had to act in the way that they did to 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 get it there now it's persisting at this number here which is still obviously concerning and <laughs> um you you look at what the fed might do you know in the next coming months but I, I don't really have any more hot takes beyond that. I, I, I'm not surprised that it's sticky. If you look at the inputs, of course, EPI, um, I, I think that we still have many, many, many more months of yeah, this. Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, it's easy to go on Twitter or, you know, your favorite mainstream media financial site and try to draw some conclusions. The reality is it's really hard to predict where it's going to go. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, we, we report the news here on uh, on Thursdays. 
and we don't we rarely kind of have any predictions moving forward other than uh i don't know exactly <laughs> because that's the that's the only logical response here in my view because it's it no one does know even the people that are are trying to maintain this number if they knew where it was going to go then i mean shit <laughs> If I had a crystal ball, you know, exactly. <laughs> if anyone had a crystal ball, well, they'd be uh, day trading their way to, to 10 trillion. <laughs> I'd, I'd, just, I'd accumulate the 3 trillion in market cap that Apple has with a, with a couple of big, uh, big trades, lover up, you know, <laughs> who wouldn't? <laughs> uh, speaking of that, 2023 S&P returns so far, speaking of Apple, oh my goodness. So... The contribution to S&P 500 return, because it is market cap weighted, the top 20 of the S&P 500 makes up almost 30% of the index. The top, to to reiterate that, the top 20 names makes a little over 29% of the weighting of the entire S&P 500 because it is market cap weighted. So let's call it a, a clean 30 and then the rest you know, the next 480 companies make up 70% of the index. The contribution of the S&P 500 year to date, so as of like, you know, late last week when, when I pulled this number, 7.5% uh, is the S&P 500. The top 20 has driven 7.08% of that return to decomposition and basically flat at 0.47 on the positive for the remaining 70% of the index. So you've basically had all the return coming from Google, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, NVIDIA, Tesla, Meta, AMD, it, almost in order uh, of, of return to decomposition. And so it basically says like, you know, Owning the index is market cap weighted has definitely been good if, if that's the index you own. If you've owned it equal weighted, you've got smoked by the, the traditional weighting of the S&P 500. If you've been in large cap mega tech, you've, you've had a, a good year so far. Um, and if you haven't uh, had exposure to the broad index or these mega cap names, chances are you've underperformed with, of course. Yeah. Uh, some exceptions, but the chances are. And it's very interesting now because as of uh, yesterday, Apple is now worth more the, than the entire Russell 2000, which is basically a small cap index. Yeah, you texted that to me yesterday. Unbelievable. The, the Apple US equity is $2.7 trillion. And the Russell 2000 index has a total composition of 2.6 trillion in market cap across all 2000 stocks. What do you say to that? I mean, other than <laughs> the, the giant gets bigger. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, obviously, they're, are they 3 trillion yet or still, still making this slow march? To no, three, not quite. 3 trillion? Not quite. Yeah, so they're not quite there. So 2.7. I mean, it's just hard to even have your brain wrap, like just wrap your head around how big of a business this is. And, you know, I was kind of thinking when you texted me this and just from a power perspective, how powerful is Apple? Like they are 
more powerful probably than the vast majority of nations around the world in terms of influence they can yield when you think about it. You know, obviously not having a military or Absolutely. anything like that. But um, yeah, that was kind of what was... They're top five. I, I would come out and say they are top five as an entity if you include nations as yeah. well in terms of power, influence, and sheer profitability. Mm -hmm. No, it's crazy to think about that. But I, that's kind of what went through my mind when you mentioned that. Because, I mean, can you imagine if Apple went down 50%, something unforeseen happened, like uh, I, it would be devastating to so many portfolios. Yeah. And I, and here's here's what I think about this, right? Is people are so quick to mark down the multiple of a TSMC for China risk uh, in terms of capacity and manufacturing and, and many names that have that kind of risk over overhanging the business, the, the multiple just can't expand, right? Not Apple. <laughs> Not like, what's, what's the deal there? I mean, it's all made over there. Um, the, their tie with both the U.S. and Chinese government is very strong and very important for their business to operate. And uh, it doesn't seem to ever affect the multiple. No, I know. It's um, just baffles the mind, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because Apple has just been performing so well for such a long period of time. And, you know, we talked about in a recent episode, even when there was uh, iPhone sales were starting to be a bit sluggish and people were putting Apple down. I think it was what, like five, six years ago around that time frame or even a bit before that. And Apple came back out and more resilient than ever. I think people are just used to, you know, just not listening to any of the noise or any of the risk. They just assume that Apple will keep on going and, you know, they probably will. And I own Apple and I do own it outright and part of index funds as well. But, you know, there's always a risk. There's always risks in every single business. There's no such thing as a risk-free business. So I think that's just important to remember before, you know, anyone gets too tempted and, you know, putting half of their net worth in Apple because they think it's safe. Yeah. And, and don't get me wrong. Uh, you know, it is as blue chip as they come and, you know, being highly concentrated in certain businesses. I, I, I don't, I don't have a particular issue with that. It's just to, to say that, you know, it's too big to, to ever have risks is, is insane. Um, and, and people used to say that about GE all the time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> it was the de facto blue chip, right? And, and how, how has that gone so far? But if it turned around, maybe. Um, but from its historic dominance, um, you know, they, they basically had their hands in everything. Uh, real quick, I don't have any notes on this, which is idiotic of me, but Google released their new Bard AI tool. And for some reason, we don't have it here in Canada yet. They, you know, like, they give it to like every developed country except Canada. I I have no idea why. Just use a VPN. So I'm, Try it out that way. I guess you could, right? Dude. Yeah. Yeah, you can. I haven't done that, but I should. Every time I go download a VPN, <laughs> I just get, 
I just get sketched yeah. out. I don't know why? why. Like, why does every single VPN look like I'm about to lose my entire bank account? Yeah, I mean, you have to use <laughs> like the branding. I've had different VPNs in the past, and usually I would just say, you know, for people looking at VPNs, is just you know, pay, just get a reputable one, and pay for the like small subscription fee versus a free one, uh, just because you know. I think just like you said, it's not worth kind of compromising your data and just to, to save a few dollars a month. Yeah. It's like, you know, if if the product is free, you are the product, exactly. right? Yeah. And, and, and for VPNs, <laughs> I don't want to be the product, man. Uh, yeah. So they, they launched this barred AI thing and, you know, Sundar did his whole keynote speech. By the way, they, Google does some real sexy keynotes, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely not bomber and gates, you know, up on the, up, on, <laughs> up at the front doing a Microsoft keynote. It's, uh, it's very sleek and very, very nice. And what have they added? Like 180 billion in market cap yeah. since the announcement, like, you know, sell Google cause of AI. And now it's buy Google cause of AI, like a week later. And this goes down to what I had said before, which was I had Google as a massive position. I own it as a medium to large position. I took some of it and put it into Microsoft um, to to build up another big tech position. I only owned Google of the big tech names. I saw what Microsoft was doing with the Azure, the the partnership with OpenAI. I said, let's just let's just hedge something here. You know, the the big the Bing thing. I want to own search, and now everyone's piling back into Google. And my thesis is still true here, which is search is changing and monopolies hate change. So they have a true innovator's dilemma and maybe they come out on top of being the best. They have the most unique data set. Bard is better than ChatGPT for reasons X, Y, and Z. I don't think it's there yet, but, but say that that, that, that that happens. Search is now a completely different business model in an AI world. And so they have to disrupt themselves. And I hate uncertainty if I own a monopoly, right? Like that's the whole game. And so that hasn't changed uh, at all. The, they have to disrupt their own search business to survive here. And that's not a good thing, right? Like <laughs> when, you, when you do 24 billion in operating income from the core search business every quarter, I, I don't want to see that change, right? And so... I want to see it go up and continue to, to dominate. And maybe it does. Um, but it, it, people can flip-flop their thesis so quickly. And I think that that's a bad way to go. Yeah, no, I know. I mean, I own it. I bought it when it was, uh, you know, everyone was selling Google, basically. Well, I think the the whole market was kind of down, right, in November, October, November of last yeah. year. Um, I just held it. It's not a huge position for me, but it is interesting that the sentiment is changing. But it's just all about AI, right? Uh, right now, investors as a as a whole, they hear the word AI or something good related to AI comes out and they get excited. Regardless, you know, no one knows how Google will actually use it and monetize it. That's still TBD. Um, I know they, they probably will integrate it to things like their Google Suite, Gmail, make those things better. But what impact will it have on revenue? Will it offset potentially less revenue on search? Who knows? Um, so just funny that people, you know, all the hype surrounding AI right now. Now, to be fair, it deserves a, a kind of rebound or reconfidence from investors just because 
Look, I mean, it, it, it looked like Sundar was just sitting on his hands while Satya Nadella and Sam Altman eat their lunch. Like, th- there needed to be some response. And the response that they came out with was good and it was refined. It, it, and the tools looked very promising. And the distribution being key inside of, you know, the G Suite yeah. programs. And so, so all of that is good. So I, I get why the stock is up. But my goodness, how quickly sentiment changes. Um, but... I will say for good reason because they came out with just crickets in a very important time for this business uh, with, you know, a, a very competitive, huge market uh, for the taking here. All right, let's move on to uh, the next name. Yeah. So uh, we'll move on to Park Lawn Corporation earnings. Uh, it's a company I used to own. We talked a little bit at, when we first started the podcast. I sold it. I think it was early in 2020. I ended up selling it just to, I had some you know better ideas to invest in. That's why I sold it. For those who are not familiar with Park Lawn Corporation, and actually a side note, someone did ask if we could talk about it. So I figure it was a good opportunity because uh, they came out with earnings. It is a company that operates cemeteries, funeral homes, and crematoriums. So in terms of sticky business, that's probably the ultimate, you know, sticky business. Obviously, people, you know, unfortunately, everyone has an expiration date and people pass away. So that's the core of their business. They have been mostly growing by acquisition. Um, they do get some organic growth, but mostly it is... Uh, it is by acquisition. So revenues have grown at a compound annual growth rate of 13% over the last five years. Just to give context before I go through the earnings, free cash flow per share has tripled over the last five years. They pay a dividend that yields just under 2%. It has not grown, but it might seem like it has. However, it's just because they went from a monthly payout to a quarterly payout. So the actual yearly payout hasn't changed. Um, It's not been a great stock to own in the past five years with the total returns being 17%. If you compare that to the S&P 500, it's uh, actually around 60%. So definitely lagging the market there. But, you know, it's a company that, you know, for those who want something a bit safer, they want to sleep well at night, that's probably going to fit the bill here. The sales for Q1 2023, so sales were up 4% to $86 million. They said that they had less uh, less calls, which resulted in less revenues, although their revenue per call increased 1.5%. And call is just a term that they use to basically, um, you know, save almost like a each client if you'd like it's just a call because you know encompasses more than usually just one person uh this was mainly due and i was surprised to a decline in mortality rates uh, they said it was most likely because yeah i know huh so it was <laughs> for those who can't see me i'm like huh very interesting yeah. like this is it's not something you read on many annual reports <laughs> no exactly and i wanted to check the data and stats can actually has mortality rates but um i'm assuming it takes them time to compile all the data because they only had up to tw- 
2020, sorry. So, uh, but it's interesting to see they actually break it down for those interested, not to get too into the death topic, but you have the whole mortality rate over, I think, uh, a thousand for the broader population, and then they break it down by age group. Um, for those not aware, so under a year old, it actually is quite high. And then as you get, you know, one plus, then it completely drops. And then obviously as people get older, it increases over time. But it's just interesting if people are interested in this kind of business, something to just be familiar with because clearly it does have an impact on the business. Gross margins were down sixty nine. That's not a that's not a <laughs> macro uh, input. No, no. I, I would have had to think about with many businesses, but this one uh, certainly matters. Yeah, exactly. It does matter, right? If people are dying less, they're not going to be using, uh, you know, the uh, the crematoriums or uh, funeral services as much. Yeah. Uh, gross margins were down sixty nine basis point to twenty six point six percent. Operating margins were down 400 basis point to 12.3%. Not great, but I did do a historical view and their operating margins do fluctuate quite a bit from quarter to quarter. So I wouldn't draw too many conclusions from there. Um, I will say, though, that, you know, the funeral or this type of business, they're usually a relatively low margin uh, because, I mean, they're so sticky and it does oftentimes, um, you know, consolidation is oftentimes a good thing because you can save on scale. Earnings per share was down just shy of 50% to 13 cents. Free cash flow was up 10% versus last year. So overall, I mean, uh, I haven't been following it all that closely since I sold for obvious reasons, but um, it seems like it was a decent quarter. Uh, It's definitely, you know, it's, I think it's an interesting play for someone who's looking for something a bit safer. The only downside, and I wish that they would increase the dividend, it would be nice if the dividend increased, not necessarily by a lot, but maybe a range from 2 to 5% every year type of deal. So you can hold this, and it's also a kind of a dividend growth investment just because a lot of your returns I think will be dependent on that uh, versus just some pure growth and you know the share price being higher type of deal it's a business that you know what do they say the sure things in life uh death and taxes yeah and this is this is definitely a play on that now the growth has been pretty solid just from an acquisitive perspective. And so I, I guess I'd push back on that just because they've, they've seen such higher ROICs. Um, and so I, I understand them not paying out a huge, huge div. Sure, if they increase it, you know, two to 5%, I think that that's reasonable that you highlighted. Um, so fair enough. But the assets they acquire, I mean, this is super, uh, super ripe for consolidation, right? Yeah. I, this is, a lot of it is very fragmented, especially in the uh, the cemeteries. Oh yeah, I would think cemeteries and funeral homes. Yeah, I, I think they're both very. I mean, it's pretty common. Like I know in Ottawa, I can think of a few that you know there's they own two. You know, two, three, four. That's about it. They're only you know located in Ottawa, and that's it. So those are. It makes me think a little bit about the uh, waste, uh, solid waste collection, so the garbage uh, pickups and all that. So it kind of reminds yeah. me of that in terms of, like you said, ripe for consolidation. Yeah, and 
end it just being so needed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, like just, not going anywhere anytime soon. You know, this between this and waste connections, it's actually kind of similar in a, in a lot of ways. Now, I, I I'm I'm on board fully for this. Like, if you if you look at the cemetery business, I mean. It has kind of all the wonderful qualities you'd hope of a business. And I get that it's obviously quite morbid uh, by nature. But when you when you break it down into like its actual parts, I mean, the, the cemetery and funeral home business is, is very good. And someone to roll it up makes sense. And Park Lawn, I know people personally that have owned this stock for a very long time. And they have done exceptional. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not going <laughs> to... <laughs> and and it's not being disrupted by AI, you know, like no, there's, a, there's a lot of disruption in the world and this is probably not one of them. Yeah. And they have too, like the cremation that they have too is even if we enter a recession, a tougher economic environment, maybe people will shift from, you know, smaller, bigger to smaller funerals and maybe save on the cost a little bit. But at the end of the day, you'll still have to use their services. So it's pretty, it should be pretty rec- recession resistant as well. I've looked at the name so many times. I've come close to buying the stock a few times actually yeah. too. Uh, never, never pulled the trigger, but uh, whatever they started doing in 2016, the top line started exploding. <laughs> Maybe just a lot more acquisitive. I think so. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Must be that. All right. Uh, speaking of the top line exploding via acquisitions, Constellation Software reported their first quarter yesterday at the close. This is ticker CSU.to, but you know, if you listen to the podcast, you're probably you're probably familiar with the name at this point. Uh, the quarter revenue was 1.92 billion, which was up 34%. So maintaining that 30 plus percent top line growth rate. Uh, a nice 5% growth on the organic growth line if you uh if you back out FX. Uh free cash flow of 453 million, which was up 40% year over year. And they spent 452 million on acquisitions in the quarter. So generate 453 million in free cash flow available to shareholders. They throw back 452 back into acquisitions. Um a hundred percent of of the free cash flow, they completed an acquisition. Um, this is not news, but the, in the quarter they did complete the acquisition of Wide Orbit and the spin off of Lumine Group, which now trades as ticker LME on the Toronto, the Toronto Venture. Seeing good results, stabilization of some big carve outs they did, notably Altera. Um, I'd like to highlight the maintenance and other recurring organic growth line item. What this means is they're software companies, so they have recurring revenue elements to these software companies. So outside of the licensing business and outside of the the uh, hardware businesses, the bulk of this business, in fact, around you know seventy two percent of the business is from the maintenance and other recurring line item. That has been solid at six percent quarterly um, organic growth. And so the the knock on this business is always you get like, you know, flat to low single digit to low single digits on the negative of organic growth, but not on the core of the business of software companies in this segment, which has been persisting above 5% now for one, two, three, four, five, six, around seven quarters in a row. 
Um, so that's, that's quite a, a positive development and uh, it speaks to everything that Mark has said that they, uh, they think is important. This morning, Simone, okay, this might be interesting to you. They announced an acquisition of Winklevoss Technologies. Are you does serious? Name sound, does this name sound familiar <laughs> Oh, it does, to you? yes. So they're uh, the Winklevoss so, brothers. Is that related to them? It's their dad. Ah, okay, okay. So for those not aware, the Winklevoss, they're twins, and they are big uh, in the crypto space. I believe they own Gemini. I, if I Gemini. Remember. Yeah. And, and they were the two guys that got like ousted out of Facebook in the original founding with Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they've done all right. They were into uh, they've done all right Bitcoin and cryptocurrency really, really on. And uh, Gemini. I mean, right now, I think they're struggling a little bit because there's um, there's some issues with Gemini and DCG, which is the digital currency group that also owns uh, GBTC and Genesis. So I think they're in court right now because there's been some. Uh, yield products where the funds are frozen that was being offered by Gemini but uh, was using basically Genesis products so it's not pretty right now but I'm gonna say I'm pretty sure they'll still be okay yeah (laughs) pretty sure they're billionaires in their own right just in Bitcoin at this point Mm -hmm. Um, so Winklevoss Technologies a 30 person looks like 30 person uh, vertical market software companies for defined benefit pension plans Oh, really? Interesting. So, okay. Very interesting. Yeah. This was under their Perseus group. It was founded in 1987 by Dr. Howard Winklevoss, who is their father, uh, after investigation this morning of the twins. Yeah. Uh, Cameron and. Uh, yeah, it's names? Cameron Tyler? and no. Tyler. Yeah, that's it. Tyler? Is yeah, right? Tyler okay. Winklevoss. Yeah. Very funny. Um, you know, those those two guys get a lot of, you know, they get chirped quite a bit, but you know, it, the fact that they could have become billionaires from Facebook and then still became billionaires after anyways, is pretty, it's pretty cool. Whether or not, uh, I, I think that probably fluctuates by the price of Bitcoin on the day, yeah. but, uh, who, who's to say, uh, all right, let's do this last one. My last segment here. Oh, I do have something gonna, else. Yeah. No, no. I'm saying let's get oh. your segment. Oh yeah. Okay. I'm okay. going <laughs> to. I'm going to move my segment to another day. Another day. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. We'll be here forever. (laughs) This one won't be too long. So um, just so I scroll uh, because when Brayden, we use the same document. So then this stuff kind (laughs) of shifts. I I did it below you this time. Yeah, it still messed things up, but it's okay. We're back. Um, So. Some news came out last week that Canopy Growth uh, said that it will need to restate last year's statement so they will need to refile several previously filed financial statements related to accounting errors to of its biosteel business which is not great because if you holy shit yeah if you remember it was one of the bright spots it was the only bright spot (laughs) exactly i think it was like that and the fact that you were reducing expenses were the only two good things everything else was terrible um for, i remember looking we you you read off their financials and just being like i was like oh god this is terrible but thank god they own biosteel yeah well 
We'll see. Maybe not. <laughs> uh, Let's see what this is. Yeah. So they haven't obviously restated that yet. They announced that they will be uh, restating those financial statements. Those not familiar with BioSteel, if you watch like professional sports, um, you've probably seen the athlete promoted. I think, uh, isn't Connor McDavid a spokesperson? Or anyway, I know there's some big names, definitely. Dude, yeah. when I watch sports, all I see is gambling commercials yeah, okay. anyway, so okay. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but anyways, it's, it's a pretty pie. They've made some big strides, and they were acquired in 2019 uh, by Canopy, and they said they will refile statements from Q1 to Q3 of 2022, plus, of course, their full-year statement. Uh, the company said basically that you should not be using those statements any longer. They should not be relied on, and they found material misstatements made relating to to biosteel sales in 2022. So clearly, you know, it was not good news and uh, for a company that's been already, was already struggling mightily before that. The stock was down 19, 19% last week alone. And if you're looking at uh, Canopy, I mean, it's trading for, it's basically a penny stock now, which is crazy. Oh, yeah. At some point it was, yeah, trading over $60 at kind of the peak of the, cannabis mania and people were getting all hyped up and now it's a dollar 39 uh dollar 39 724 million market cap um it was yeah i must i i just i'm lost for words how bad it's gotten i mean it's seems like it's the same story for pretty much all these cannabis names some are doing a little better than others and i thought canopy would probably come out of it uh, but now, I mean, it's hard to say because, yeah, sales have been trending down, margins have been trending down, and then the one bright spot in their business, they'll have to restate their statements, and the way that they announced that, it's clearly not going to be to the upside. You can't take the coulda, shoulda, wouldas uh, to the bank as an investor, but I... <laughs> heavily debated shorting this thing in the the peak of 2018 there with with the mania but you also risk you know just losing your shirt when it's going up 40 percent a day during that kind of mania that we saw and i mean this is it just gets worse and worse and worse every time you talk about these canopy uh, you know the the afria the the aurora Every time you have a segment, it's it seems to be worse and worse, and the stock price certainly reflects that. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's still going to be – there's going to be a business or two. There's just going to be a lot of consolidation, and it's going to end up probably being a low-margin business. And there's going to yep. be, uh, you know, a clear winner without whether it's a company that's already existing or just a new player coming and just buying assets on the cheap, making them way more efficient than they were, adjusting the pricing. Um, you know, I, I still think there's money to be made there, but not in the form that we saw where these ridiculous projection of how big the market would be and these profit margins. Uh, I mean, it was just not realistic. They were basically pulling these numbers out of their rear ends in terms of projections. Like, there was nothing concrete to base it on. They were just estimate because it's a it was an illegal market. How can you know what the market will be when it's illegal? And how do you even if you had the data for sure, there is this amount of sales each year in Canada for cannabis before it becomes legal. 
how can you determine the percentage of those purchases that will translate to the legal market? That's the other variable that they seem to not have or they were just being too optimistic on. Here's my long-term prediction for this market. Here's what's going to happen, all right? You got... I'm talking way long term when the increased adoption, increased adoption, you have more states legalized. It's basically pseudo legal in the US. You know, what do we have? Two states there now. Yeah. Just needs to uh, be Canada. legalized on the federal level in the states. Federal. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you have, you have Europe it basically decriminalized and legal in some places. So let's say, you know, you have those major markets, every G20 country. Uh, has it legalized on a national level and now commercialized. You have a few, maybe two, three large players uh, that are commodity businesses that sell cannabis. They are growers and they sell it as a commodity, super low margin, high volume. Um, you know, they, they, they print the bottom line when the, the price of the commodity goes up and you have the distribution. My prediction for the distribution is actually VC stores. I think just like tobacco, you have C stores being the ultimate convenience, uh, no pun intended, in terms of distribution. Not these silly Apple store looking uh, retail stores that basically are boom bust here in the city. I don't think that's the long-term play here. I think they eventually all fizzle out. I think that it's ripe for a new product line like Elaine Bouchard at Alimentation Couchetard or the 7-Elevens to, to take the opportunity in terms of distribution. That is my long-term prediction for both the production on the grower side and the distribution if I look out 20 years. If I'm right, who knows? Uh, time will tell, but that's that's what I think. Yeah, it's going to be a scale business. Um, I totally agree with that. I think the only thing I think think I foresee potentially is you'll see a little bit like alcohol where you may have again two three big players in the space and then they may have each like one subsidiary where it's kind of their luxury kind of lifestyle brand right like you can buy premium beer like you can buy Coors yep. Light um, and then they bake uh, make a bigger margin on those more premium products it's still a very small portion of the business because most people will get it because they want to you know get high and smoke weed and just get value out of it but you'll have the you know people are willing to pay more for uh you know a higher quality and the margins are higher i think i totally agree with you i think this is what i think we're seeing it in real time right now the transition yep. to hype and consolidation and then a couple massive players uh, that will probably do quite well when they have the distribution and it's legalized in the U.S. and Europe. Um, and yeah, just having uh, just savings on scale. That's what it is. To me, the businesses I'd be happy owning uh, 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 is basically the kushtar of yeah. <laughs> the, the this this supply of this uh, this value chain is the people who can actually make mm. you know twenty five to fifty percent gross margins on the actual point of sale. That's that's the good business, and from from my view, that's that's how I think it'll play out. Yeah, because but right now it's too it's still too hard to identify who's going to be the winner 
in the producer side or you know the the product side so i mean it could be some of the existing player it could be even like a company like um constellation brands for example or uh anheuser bush um it could be one of those that just say okay it's been kind of there's blood on the street we can diversify our business we can get it pennies on the dollar uh now it's a good time to come in and scoop in and maybe they'll lose money for us for the next five years but we paid you know chunk change for it that we don't care if we lose a bit of money in the short term we got some good value out of it i just don't think uh the anheuser bushes of the world are are at this point willing to take on cash burn until the eventual legalization. There's going to be this as a terrible, terrible capital allocation destruction. Investors lose money for a long time still to this point. And then there's going to be a sea change at the regulatory level. And then there's going to be a rush back to get uh, to, to, to acquire these assets at a higher price again. Um, but it's worth it for those companies to wait. Um, even if they have to pay more down later, you know, net net, if you look at out the cash burn that these businesses have today, who's gonna who's gonna want to take that on? So I think it's gonna be mostly a shit show until there's a sea change at the regulatory level and then there's gonna be a rush to acquire those assets. Yeah. So we'll no, see. No, that's fair. Yeah. yeah. At this point, yeah. <laughs> it's all prediction. It's all yeah, exactly. It's all just what do you think is going to happen? Because no one knows. All right, thanks for listening to the pod. So, if you heard at the beginning uh, our our event, uh, just a reminder: the link is in the show notes now. The tickets are thirty bucks. That includes everything. Uh, you don't need to bring anything. We'll feed you. We'll make sure you have some uh, some drinks and. That is going to be downtown Toronto on Friday, July 7th. If you want to come, lock your ticket in right now and you will be good to go. Yeah. And and for the uh, for those, uh, you know, that are also interested, we have joined TCI. If you want to see our portfolios, I will be updating this week um, the quarterly dividend portfolio in terms of more retirement income that I do. So there's, I started working on it. There's about five names that I'm changing. Um, obviously, it's not to encourage any trading or anything like that. It's, I'm just doing a snapshot every time I do it as if I were to start the portfolio now. And then depending on what's yielding, some of the business results, I kind of adjust the mm. holdings. And uh, I didn't know you're doing it like that. I like that. Yeah, yeah I, I tried to do it like that just so, you know, I bring some additional context and it also gives people more ideas at the same time and um you know i also appreciate the patience for existing joint tci members because uh i'm still working on the videos so i have taken a day off this week from my uh, my regular job so i can spend about like four hours straight and watch a uh, a full course on <laughs> being able to edit videos because it's uh it's very different than audio editing <laughs> there's a lot more moving parts to video Today, there's 198 patrons on jointci.com. So who wants to be 200? Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, go on yeah. over there. You, you know, you can put that in the back pocket at the meetup. I was number 200. Mm -hmm. uh, that is at jointci.com. We'll see you in a few days. Take care. Bye-bye. The Canadian Investor Podcast should not be taken as investment or financial advice. Braden and Simone may own securities or assets mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment or financial decisions.